0: Chapter 5 Nonfiction According to the American Heritage Dictionary, religion is 1. An organization system, beliefs, and rituals cons- centering on a supernatural being or beings, b Adherence to such a system, a belief upheld or pursued with zeal and devotion, religion is one of a relating to religion adhering to manifesting religious, pious, godly, scripturalist consciousness of a belonging to a monasonic order a person belonging to a monastic order as a monk or a nun. How can I be so critical of religion? Is it possible that I have a personal vendetta against religion? Yes, I must admit I hate religion. However, It wasn't always like this. About 30 years ago, I became totally engrossed in religion. This total commitment kept me busy doing my best to follow all the precepts I was taught and reason necessary to fulfill the spiritual laws of my chosen religion. I must admit, I was very naive, taking it all very serious, striving for perfection. I recall one instance, for example, while visiting a friend, I noticed a few granules of what appeared to be either salt or sugar on the tablecloth. So, wetting my finger, I touched the substance and tasted it. It was salt. And the moment I tasted it, a wave of guilt swept over me because I had actually stolen the grains of salt from this friend. Why be so nitpicking, you may ask? Well, my answer is, who draws the line between right and wrong? How does anyone know for sure if you're trying to keep God's laws, then a few grains of salt taken from another person's table is stealing, pure and simple? This fanatical religious and antics burdened me with a constant load of guilt. Eventually, a few passages of scripture were revealed to me. This revelation was not a booming voice from heaven. It was more like a piece of the puzzle coming together. This revelation allowed me to understand that my relationship with God is not contingent upon my being good, but believing in God's promise of forgiveness. The scripture verse that was revealed to me as follows in the King James Bible, the book of Galatians, chapter 3, starting at verse 2. This only would I learn from you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the laws or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? I had started my relationship with God by simply believing in him. And then my natural senses, the flesh, of reasoning and imagination, convinced me that I should change my ways in order to prove that I was a new person. However, because I am imperfect human being, I found myself constantly failing to fulfill the image my religion demanded. As a result, I was constantly under God's curse. Continuing with Galatians 3, verse 4, Have you suffered so many things in vain? If yet in vain, he therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and works miracle among you, does he do it by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, testifies about coming to the same conclusion I had come to, quoting from the Apostle Paul, Galatians 2.19. For it was through reading the scripture that I came to realize I could never find God's favor by trying and failing to obey the laws. I came to realize that acceptance with God comes by believing in Christ. Religion, on the other hand, relies on outward appearances, outward actions, and never relies on faith. Religion doesn't believe in faith. It tries to control the evil nature and direct its path. by pious natural activities. I could go on explaining and giving more examples of the fallacy of religion, but may not be any more convincing. The results of an experience may speak volumes. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 4, verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth in me the works that i do shall he do also and greater works than these shall he do because i go unto my father <laughs> in my case the greater work spoken about in verse of scripture is my experience of being delivered from religion it is hard to describe the utter relief and exuberant joy i felt when i began to believe and ex- accept god's sacrifice as payment for my faulty life. Here is a fact in my life, and it's also my eternal greed. I could not know Jesus as a personal friend until I had denounced religion in my life. Psalms 40, verse 2. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my going. It is probable that many people would consider this verse of Scripture a hypothetical experience or perhaps a description of a dream or nightmare. On the other hand, it describes very clearly my feeling while in the pit of miry religion, even though I was not fully aware of the experience until after God had miraculously brought out of that horrible pit. Because of this wonderful spiritual healing, I have developed an eternal respect and a deep reverence for God. Psalms twenty-five four. Friendship with God is reserved for those who reverence Him. With them alone, He shares the secrets of His promises. The real war of life is tasing, taking place in the spiritual dimension, Ephesians six thirteen, For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spiritual world. If we accept this as fact, the evil princes of darkness rule this world, it is easy to visualize religion as the stronghold of the satanic religion. Spiritually speaking, when a person becomes religious, this individual becomes a citizen of the satanic regime. These people begin to break the spiritual laws of God. Think about this. The first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. When a person becomes religion, religious, the religion becomes the most important thing in that person's life. Religion becomes this person's God, thereby breaking the first commandment. The second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Again, when a person becomes religious, this person presents a religious image to the world. The image is the likeness of a pious person. This self-created image breaks the second law. Commandment. The third commandment. Thou shalt not bow down thyself down, nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God. Verse 5. When a person becomes religious, this person will bow down to all the precepts and serve their religion. This person will also praise other members of the sect and accept praise from others. Exalting of each other breaks the third commandment. Verse 7, Thou shalt not take thy name, thy Lord God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. When we human beings are under a curse as a result of our ancestors, Adam and Eve, disbehaving God, when a person uses the com- the com- comment, God bless you, the person is using the Lord's name in vain. This comment, along with other religious comment, is giving the false message and contradicts the curse, thereby refusing to reverence God's word. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Actually, Jesus fulfilled the commandments, including observing the Sabbath. Religious observing the literal Sabbath are denying the sacrifice. In fact, according to God's word, when Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled God's purpose, and we are instructed to observe the Sabbath by entering into his place of rest. This place of rest is a permanent condition of the soul. This means simply to stop being religious or observing special days or events. A person cannot exert effort by observing these days and cease from all activities at the same time. We are destined to do one or the other. Hebrews 4, 9-12 So there's a full, complete rest, still waiting for the people of God. Christ has already entered there. He is resting from his work, just as God did after the creation. Let us do our best to go into this place of rest, being careful not to disobey God as the children of Israel did, thus failing to get in. For whatever God says is full of living power. Galatians 2 16 and 7 So don't let anyone criticize you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating Jewish holidays and feasts new moons ceremonies or Sabbaths for these were only temporary rules that ended when Christ came they were only shadows of the real thing of Christ himself Verse 12 Honor thy father and mother. Spiritually speaking, God is our father and Jesus is our mother. God became our spiritual father when he planted the holy seed in the Virgin Mary, which resulted in the birth of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, his death gave birth to all believers, his spiritual children, God's real offspring religions of the world interpret this commandment to mean an earthly earthly parents thus failing to honor the real father and mother. Exodus 12 verse 13 Thou shall not kill. When a person becomes religious this person begins to kill spiritually other people. A religious person is sending a message to the world that their religion has given them life, and those who don't have their religion beliefs are doomed. They kill by condemning unreligious people. James 5, 6. You have condemned and killed good men who had no power to defend themselves against you. Verse 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Most people consider this commandment an earthly event between a husband and wife. However, spiritually speaking, this is strictly a relationship between religious people and God. Read Isaiah fifty-four fifteen: For your creator will be your husband. Is this verse just idle chat? Is it just a figure of speech? Is God speaking to someone in past history? Or are these words also for us? Now read Isaiah 57, 7 and 8. You have committed adultery on the tops of mountains, for you worship idols there deserting me behind closed doors. You set your idols up and worship someone other than me. This is adultery, for you are giving these idols your love instead of loving me religious people love their religion and worship their religion a person's religion is their idol thus breaking command god's commandment thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not steal the divinity of christ is stolen by religion pretending to be the divine incarnation of god exodus 20:16 now shall bear not bear felt with false witness against thy neighbor. Jesus is our neighbor because he lives in our heart. Jesus died on the cross to deliver us from our sinful natures, the natural man. Religion tries to make us believe that God is trying to repair the natural man, which is deceiving, presenting a fault with false witness against our Savior. Exodus twenty seventeen. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Religion covets the unseen spiritual house of our neighbor, Jesus, by creating man-made houses of worship. In fact, the very nature of religion is to covet everything that belongs to Jesus. There you have it. The Ten Commandments are all broken by religion. Psalm seventy-three twenty. Their present life is only a dream. They will awaken to the truth as one awakens from a dream of things that never really were. Perhaps now is the time to talk about the greatest of all commandments. In the Living Bible, Jesus explains Mark 12, 29-31 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God and only one, and you must love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and strength. The second is, you must love others as yourself. No other commandments are greater than these. So how can a person know, honor, respect, and have a desire to be close to the person, and probably most of all, you must be compatible, the Bible declares God is love. No wonder the greatest commandment of all is to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. How does a person know how much they love God? Jesus has an experience which gives an example of complete love and partial love. St. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 47. The 47th verse has this nugget of truth that gives the formula for complete and partial love. And I quote, Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven." For she has loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Keeping this verse of Scripture in mind, we need to truthfully ask ourselves, How much sin do I have today that I hope is forgiven? One thing is certain. Religious people appear to have fewer sins than non-religious people. Therefore, non-religious people seeking forgiveness will naturally love more. If I am hopelessly deadlocked in sin, if my very nature is pure sin, then I am in an excellent position to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, because he simply forgives me in spite of my corrupt condition. With all this forgiveness, we could easily love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The result is total compatibility. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stock on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. These words were found scrawled on the wall of a cell in a metal ward, and has become the third verse of the song, The Love of God. <clears throat> a popular song often sang at funerals is Amazing Grace, but the song was written by somebody while they were alive for the living and should be a constant theme in our hearts. As we know, grace beads undeserved favor. Amazing grace, undeserved favor. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, and now I see. T'was grace, undeserved favor, that taught my heart to fear, and grace, undeserved favor, my fears relieved. How precious did that grace, undeserved favor, appear the hour I first believed. The second greatest commandment, you must love others as much as you love yourself. No other commandments are greater than these. Mark twelve thirty one. How can we know if we love others as much as ourselves? Romans thirteen nine and ten. If you love others as much as you love yourself, you will not want to harm or cheat him or kill him or steal from him, and you won't sin with his wife, or you won't want what is his, or do anything else the Ten Commandments say is wrong. All ten are wrapped up in this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. As was pointed out earlier in this chapter, religious people break the Ten Commandments. The only way to show true love to your fellow man is to eradicate religion from your life. It's ironic that the verse of Scripture that proves this point is a mirror of one quoted previously in this book, namely John 3.16. Now look at 1 John 3.16. We know what real love is from Christ's example in dying for us, and so also, we ought to lay down our lives for our Christian brothers. Only by sacrificing religious ties can we stop condemning our fellow man. If we have no religious religion, we won't look down on others. As the Apostle Paul pointed out in Galatians 5:23, those who belong to Christ have nailed their natural evil, religious desires on his cross, and crucified them there. Am I injecting my own thought into this verse? Look at Colossians 3, three. You should have little desire for this world as a dead person does. God speaks to us vicariously every night as we sleep. Aren't all our daily activities abandoned and unimportant while we're asleep? Isn't the message being impressed upon us that our experience here on earth is just a shadow of life philippians 3 7 but all those things that i once thought worthwhile now i have thrown them all away so i can put my trust and hope in christ alone yes everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing christ jesus my lord I have put aside all else, counting it worth less than nothing, in order that I can have Christ and become one with him, no longer counting on being saved by being good enough or by obeying God's laws, but by trusting Christ to save me. For God's ways of making us right with him depends on faith, counting on Christ alone. Now. I have given up everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again. The Bible declares God is a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I recall an atheist program on TV. The host asked defiantly. How can God be three separate parts and claim to be one? First of all, if we are inquiring with an inquisitive attitude, we would surely get an answer. However, if we're trying to establish doubt in God, we will never get an answer. If we really believe in God, our first thought tells us that we can never limit him or doubt what he says. God is spirit and is therefore omnipresent. The answer to this question is within us. We humans are three in one, body, soul, and spirit. Because religion is distorted and merges the soul and spirit, it assumes the soul and spirit are the same and is therefore unable and unwilling to conceive of these two separate parts of the human being. The human body's five main sentences are sight, smell, feel, taste, and hear. The five main senses of the soul are imagination, affections, memory, reasoning, and conscience. The five main souls of the spirit are love, joy, peace, faith, and hope. So we can see and pursue of God as three-in-one as we are made of three-in-one. The reason for bringing up this subject about the concept of three separate parts in one body is to explain about a spiritual surgery to separate the human soul from the spirit. The human soul is contaminated and evil through and through. If we can accept this as truth, we will be willing to sacrifice the religious activities, fruits of the spirit. For me, this experience was a broken heart and a broken spirit. As I recall, it was a heart-wrenching event. It was my deepest feeling of remorse, a complete sense of hopelessness and utter regret for my soul's evil condition. I was in a deep, remorseful condition for about a week with uncontrollable, excruciating irregret as I experienced the demise of religion in my life. James 4, 9, and 10. Let there be tears for the wrong that you have done. Let there be sorrow and sincere grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Then, when you realize your worthlessness before the Lord, he will lift you up, encourage, and help you. Psalms 51.17 The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise. Psalms 34.18 The Lord is nigh to them that are of a broken heart and saveth such that are of a contrite spirit. The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What temple can you build for me as good as that? My hand has made both earth and skies, and they are mine. Yet I look down with pity on the man who has a humble and a contrite heart, who trembles at my word. For... Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to, reverence this, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. When I first became religious, I had found my life, so to speak. Later on, I gave up the religious life, St. Matthew 10:39, He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. This verse of Scripture simply means we will eventually lose our religion, but if we willingly give it up for his sake, we will find real life. My outward appearance is strictly natural and has no apparent connection with the spiritual life that I have been talking about. Those who know me for the most part are unaware of my connection with God. So this may appear that I am hiding my belief and ashamed of my faith in God, but this is part of the suffering that spiritual people experience. God is my judge. As long as I satisfy him, that is all that matters. Although I no longer cherish religion, I do not advocate the overthrow or condone terrorist acts against religion. Being dead spiritually to this world, I have no moral, ethical, or religious cause to fight, for I am. To fight for, I am not trying to start another church or religion. Like our spiritual father Abraham, I'm a pilgrim and a stranger here on earth. Hebrews 11, 8, 9, and 10. Abraham all trusted God, and when God told him to leave home and go far away to another land, which he promised to give him, Abraham obeyed, and away he went. Not knowing where he was going, and even when he reached God's promised land, he lived in tents like a mere visitor, as did Isaac and Jacob, to whom God gave the same promise. Abraham did this because he was confidently waiting for God to bring him to that strong and heavenly city, whose designer and builder is God. Psalm seventy-three twenty-eight. But for me, I get as close to him as I can. I have chosen him and I will tell everyone about my wonderful ways he rescued me. Isaiah fifty seven. The good man perish, the godly die before their time, and no one seems to care or wonder. No one seems to realize that God is taking him away from this. Evil days ahead, for the godly who die shall rest in peace. This verse is not talking about a physical death, but rather a spiritual death of earthly moral, ethical, and religious creeds. Spiritual people are dead to this world and are citizens vicariously of God's spiritual kingdom. This condition is in a, a distinct from night and day as the natural world is distinct from the spiritual world. Ephesians two nineteen. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God, Psalm 73, 24. You will keep on guiding me all my life with your wisdom and counsel and afterward, Receive me in the glorious of heaven. Whom have I in heaven but you, and I desire no one on earth as much as you. My health fades, my spirit droop, yet God remains. He is the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. This is chapter six of nonfiction. Approximately 12 years ago, would be 1993, my youngest said said to me, Dad, people down through history who have had something important to say recorded the information for future generations, and you have something important to say. It was at this time that I started writing this book. From the beginning, I planned for Chapter 5 to be the last chapter. A few people have been receiving the chapters as they were completed. Among these people is my sister Gail. After receiving Chapter 5, Gail's reply was, Looking forward to the next chapter, but take your time. There's a well of information inside of you, but let it work its way out naturally. Gail's comment has become my motivation and encouragement to continue writing. Thus, chapter 6 is born. Throughout this book, all of the examples, conclusions, and comments have been the result of obvious reasoning, with occasional trivia comments. For this reason, the fundamental understanding of God is available to all mankind, regardless of intellectual or cultural differences. For example, in Chapter 1, there is a quote from Professor Hawking's book titled A Brief History of Time. The quote implies his belief in God. At the time of this writing, Professor Hawking is the professor of mathematics at the University of Cambridge in England. On the other end of the scale, there is a quote in chapter 5 of a profound description of God's love scrawled on the wall of a mental ward, which also implies a belief in God. Keeping these thoughts in mind, we may reason the third most important event in life is becoming aware of the obvious. The second most important event in life is realizing the importance of discovering the obvious. And the single most important event in life is to embrace the obvious as though it were the very essence of life. Now, if we substitute the word obvious with the word God, it will become clear that the two words are synonymous. In the Bible, in the book of Acts chapter 26, there is an example of this obvious trivial reasoning. As Paul is defending his faith in the prophecies of Jesus Christ by using apparent trivia examples of his experience. Notice how King Agrippa replies in verse 28. Grippa interrupted him. With trivia proofs like these, you expect me to become a Christian? One of the main themes of this book has been to distinguish and separate the natural human nature and the natural world from the spiritual nature and the spiritual world. The natural human nature is permanently endowed with doubtful existence and negative attitude towards God. The natural human nature is destined to pretend that life on earth is real. Man does this by acting out and creating an illusion of life. This illusion is manifested as religion and political themes. The activities of religion and political themes are based on outward expressions, opinions, theories, and distorted beliefs. Distorted because these beliefs are a desperate attempt to correct, control, and present a false illusion of man evolving into loving, caring people. The past history of man and the present events indicate that we are moving toward a de-evolving condition. In other words, man is on a path of self-destruction. Most of us have thought to ourselves or heard people say, I don't want to bring children into this world. Why would a person come to this conclusion? It's because of the trauma of coping with a chaotic nature Not only are we subjected to natural uncertainties of nature, but the out-of-control fascist governments and whole spectrum of individual human perversions are common events. It should be noted here that all human beings, to one degree or another, are included in this spectrum of human perversions. Although we, as individuals, may not be outwardly responsible for these perversions there is an inborn tendency of each individual to act out these perversions. Just the day by day problems, pressures, pain, suffering are signs of a perverted human nature. What appears to be normal and natural to mankind is our acceptance of this chaotic condition. It's like we cherish the opportunity to overcome and force our environment to succumb to our wants and needs. This attitude produces pride in our lives, religion, and governments. Pride is a dangerous trap that renders a person deaf and blind to common sense. Pride fools a person into feeling compatible with the natural environment and is Mistaken for wisdom, intelligence, and spirituality, pride blinds a person from seeing our chaotic condition. Pride is the richest hypocrisy of the world and is cherished by those who possess it and both by those who have discarded it. Proverbs eight thirteen. if anyone ex- respects and fears God, he will hate evil, for wisdom hates pride, arrogance, corruption, and deceit of every kind. Proverbs sixteen five, Pride disgusts the Lord. Take my word for it. Pride men, proud men shall be punished. The same verse, King James. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joins hand, he shall not be unpunished. Proverbs sixteen eighteen, pride goes before destruction, and haughtiness before a fall. Of course, all religions of the world are included in this prediction. A couple of examples of prideful people in the world at the time of this writing would be Pope John Paul II and Osama love these men and their followers are full of pride John 1243 for they love the praise of man more than the praise of God Isaiah 222 puny man frail as his breath don't ever put your trust in him to the world Jeffrey ba- Dahmer a serial killer, is an example of evil in its purest form. However, unlike Pope Paul John II and Osama Bin Laden, Jeffrey Dahmer was punished here on earth and there was no indication that that he was proud of his actions or lifestyle. For the most part, mankind regards the spiritual world as an illusion or a figmentation of our imagination. The natural world and man are looked upon as an end in itself and appears to have all the necessary ingredients of reality. In actuality, the natural world and all the man-made societies are illusions, and the spiritual world is pure reality, which can be perceived by using our God-given gift of faith. In chapter 1, you may recall, faith is the substance of evidence of things unseen, the spiritual world, Hebrews 11.1. One. What is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we hope for is waiting for us, even though we cannot see it up ahead. Notice in this verse of Scripture, it is what we hope for, though we cannot see it up ahead. What God is saying, that faith is not a physical, outward, visible experience, but an inward, unseen belief. Those people who agree with the information presented in this manuscript know that in reality, there is only one God, and he is the creator of all things. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. But we know that there is only one God, the Father, who created all things and made us to be his own and one Lord Jesus Christ, who made everything and gives us life. Satan, the devil, is phony, is a phony God, and all his attributes are strictly false. Satan is the God of illusion and of the natural world. He appears to have creative abilities, but they are always phony. As an illustration, an illusion is actually a lie because it appears to be real, but it's not. We are children of the corrupt nature from our birth to our death. We human beings live a lie. Because of this distortion, we mistakenly perceive this earthly life as real, with the illusion that we can have a normal life on earth. Our human ambitions, desires, and goals are all illusions. Your opinion and my opinion are just illusions. Ecclesiastics twelve twelve. But my son, be warned: there is no end of opinions. Ready to be expressed. The existence we experience here on earth is an illusion. To prove this point, just ask yourself what ambitions, desires, goals, religious or political beliefs, and any other aspect of life am I cur- concerned about while I'm sleeping? The answer is none of the above. Therefore, the message being in pressed upon us daily throughout our lives as we sleep, is that life on earth is not real. It's an illusion. Job 33, 14 and 15. For God speaks again and again in dreams, in visions of the night, while deep sleep falls on man as they lie on their beds. For those people trying to improve the condition of mankind or live a pious lifestyle, there will be a rude awakening when this life is over. They will discover that it was all for nothing, just illusion. The only reward for the self-stylist is self-pride and elusive marriage. Memory. Both will end in bitter regret. Psalms. 7320, their present life is only a dream. They will awaken to the truth as one awakens from a dream of things that never really were. As a general rule, man believes that religion is synonymous with belief in God. If you're not religious, you don't believe in God. This is a good example of an illusion that is perpetrated by Satan and accepted by the general population. Actually, religious people are the ones who don't believe in God. Yes, they believe that there is a God, so do the satanic demons, James 2, 19. Are there still among some among you who hold that only believing is enough, believing in one God? Well, remember that the demons believe this too, so strongly that they tremble in terror. Strange as it may seem, religion is what keeps a person from believing in God. The simple fact is that religion is an outward expression of a distorted belief, while a spiritual belief is an inward expression. Religion presents a false image to the world it pretends to be pious, but this image is a satanic trick. Here's, Here it is, folks, the unquestionable proof that our strength is from within, Ephesians 6, 10. Last of all, I want to remind you that your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. Put on all of the God's army so that you will be able to stand safe against all the strategies and tricks of satan how do i know this tra- statement is true i have per- personally experienced this phenomenon i was religious at one time in my life and am now not religious for me being non-religious is better because i quit pretending and actually became began to believe Here is more proof that Satan controls the religions and political world. Ephesians 6.12 For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings, and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world, and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spiritual world. 1 John 5.19 We know that we are children of God and that all the rest of the world around us is under Satan's power and control. The controversial aspects of this condition is that anybody who is truly spiritual will not appear to have any outward expressions or of their belief. We just go about our daily lives as another abnormal, filthy human being. For example, I enjoy watching Jerry Springer and Howard Stern TV shows. Often when I am angry or frustrated, I express my feelings with profanity. I enjoy all types of so-called evil worldly and entertainment, even X-rated entertainment. I will never be part of or watch the 700 Club, Billy Graham Crusades, or any other religious program on TV or radio. I realize that you who are reading this book will have other own your own ideas about our destiny. However, we cannot claim ignorance of the information presented. Each person has a choice to confirm this philosophy of life by checking the scriptures to prove this information true. Acts 17.11 They search the scripture day by day to check up on Paul and Silas' statement to see if they were really so. Or you can provide Prove the information must be untrue by looking for ways to establish doubt that will allow you to reject this philosophy of life. Proverbs 11:27. If you search for good, you will find God's favor. If you search for evil, you will find his curse. The third option is not to accept or reject the philosophy of life, but by simply ignoring the information presented. 2 Corinthians 6 and 9. The world ignores us. What about prayer? Does a contaminated nature, man, know how to pray to a perfect God? The answer is no. Those who pray before meals at bedtime and their religious gatherings are proving that they don't really know God it's simple to explain, when a person prays out loud, they are proving that God is not part of their life. They are showing by this outward action that God is out there somewhere in the cosmos. If God is in our heart, we commute internally, in our spirit, with the emotions of gratitude, grace, love, and adoration for his perfect gift of life. Romans eight twenty six and 27 and in the same way by faith the Holy Spirit helps us with our daily problems and in our praying for we don't even know what we should pray for nor how to pray as we should but the Holy Spirit prays for us with such feelings that it cannot be expressed in words and the Father who knows all hearts. Of course, what the Spirit is saying as he pleads for us in harmony with God's will. Many years ago, I recall looking through my bedroom window on a clear night. As I gazed in the heavens, I asked God if I could shine in his kingdom, as the brightness of a star I was looking at. It wasn't the brightest star in the universe, but from my vantage point, it was the brightest star I could see. I believe this information presented in this manuscript is a result of this prayer and has been revealed to me by God's Spirit, and I am convinced that it is the true gospel, the good news being offered to anybody willing to consider its validity 1 Corinthians 2:16 but strange as it seems we Christians actually do have within us uh, a portion of of the very thoughts and mind of Christ i also recall another experience Many years ago, while waiting for a sandwich, I had ordered in a fast-food restaurant. A well-dressed businessman and stranger was sitting next to me and made a comment. He said, I envy you. Unfortunately, I didn't question his comment, and there was nothing else said between us. At the time, I did not know why he made this statement. Later, I found a verse of scripture which confirms what the stranger was conveying to me. Romans 4, 7. Blessed and to be envied, he said, are those whose sins are forgiven and put out of sight. Yes, what joy there is for anyone whose sins are no longer counted against him by the Lord in December 2004 there was a tsunami that mostly devastated the coast of Indonesia, Sri Lanka and India causing loss of life over 100,000 people died and catastrophic destruction why would god allow such a ca- catastrophic to occur isn't the message to the world and mankind that life here on earth is temporary and unstable. Shouldn't this cause us to want to become aware of and search for the obvious gift of life? Probably the most obvious observation is all total and complete denial of man to accept God's plan and purpose of redemption. He simply wants somebody to fall in love with him and begin to really appreciate what he has done to accomplish this end. We live in a contaminated world with the devil as our God, and this is why human race is unable to save itself, and every effort to do it confirms the previous observation of denial. James 4.10 Then when you realize your worthlessness attitude, before the lord you will lift up he will lift you up encourage and help you years ago i wrote the lyrics to a song and would like to share these words with those who are searching for answers and would like to express their appreciation to jesus for making it possible to have eternal life there are tears of joy and gain there are tears of sad refrain There are tears when those we've known have passed away. There are tears that flow like rain when we have despairing pain. And the most precious tears of all are the tears that rarely flow. They are the tears of gratitude. Tears of gratitude, tears of gratitude. Like pure droplets of crystal in his sight. Jesus died, now all will live. Nothing good have we to give. So I'll gladly shed these tears of gratitude. Tears of gratitude, tears of gratitude, like pure droplets of crystal in his sight. Tears like rivers on land flowing down the face of man. But tell me, where are the tears of gratitude? In recent times, a correspondent brought a scripture to my attention and commented on it. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He said, I totally reject the Christian teaching. I was raised to believe, so I did. But once I studied Christianity, I came to the realizing that Christian teaching are a total conflict with the laws of nature. I believe Christianity has done way more harm than good. It is a religion for the weak and, and downtrodden, the meek and slaves. History shows that the meek will not inherit the earth, but the strong will as they always have. If you love your enemies, they will destroy you. Of course, I agree with this logic. If we interpret this... Scripture into the natural world, it is unquestionably true. Of course, I agree with this logic. If we interpret this Scripture into the natural world, it is unquestionably true. However, if we interpret it spiritually, and it fits into God's spiritual realm, It can and does make sense. Consider this thought, who is your enemy? Do you really know who your enemy is? If you want to see your enemy, take a look in the mirror. Our inner image being the soul is a companion that we are associated with while we exist on earth. The soul can and does establish our lifelong beliefs, whether true or false. Psalms 55.12 It was not an enemy who taunted me. Then I could have borne it. I could have hidden and escaped. But it was you, a man like myself, my companion and my friend. What fellowship we had on wonderful discussions as we walked together to the temple of the Lord on holy days. The earth to be inherited is your inner self, your own earthly body. Think about it. Our whole earthly life is each person's whole world. When we realize that it is what we believe and our attitude that controls our destiny and we take steps to change them, we can truly inherit our world i know because i have inherited my world another word for it is called salvation that is saved from our inner natural distorted beliefs and evil attitude of our soul and the distorted beliefs and teachings of the world isaiah fifty-seven twelve. But he who trusts in me shall possess the land and inherit my holy mountain. Are you one of the many people who believe that God is directing your earthly life day by day? Do you feel that each experience in your life is part of his plan? If we analyze this theory with an inquisitive attitude, it will allow us to... allow some spiritual light to shine on the subject. First of all, we live in a changing world that is always threatened with chaotic disasters. One example is the tsunami previously mentioned where over a 100,000 people lost their lives. Does it make sense that God would protect a few religious people and allow the rest of humanity to be subjected to unpredictable catastrophic events that happened. Isn't it logical to conclude that a few of the hundred thousand people who died in the tsunami believed that God was defiantly protecting them? God is no respecter of persons. Romans 2.11. For God treats everyone the same. Nobody on earth is being divinely protected, and yes, God does make junk. If we weren't junk, we wouldn't be deteriorating into oblivion, Romans 9.22. Does not God have the perfect right to show his fury and power against those who are fit only for destruction, those he has been patient with? For all this time, consider this. We live in a ever-changing world. God never changes. We live in a chaotic world. God is perfect. This world is temporary. God is eternal. This natural world is established, scheduled for a huge bonfire. God is a consuming fire. 2 Peter 3.10 the day of the Lord is surely coming, as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away, with a terrible noise, and the heavenly bodies will all disappear in fire, and the earth and everything in it will be burned up. you recall what Jesus said before he was crucified? John eighteen thirty-six. Then Jesus answered. I am not an earthly king. If I were, my followers would have fought when I was arrested by the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of the world. Does, doesn't this comment indicate that there are two worlds? Check this out in John fifteen nineteen. The world would love you if you belong to it, but you don't, for I chose you to come out of the world and so it hates you, John, seventeen fifteen. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from Satan's power, false beliefs. They are no part of this world any more than I am. The ultimate triumph in our natural life is to die out politically, ridiculously beliefs of the world, and accept our existence on earth as one continuous, filthy, corrupt event. This condition implies that one does not become involved with worldly issues. Colossians two three, mentioned in chapter 5, you should have as little desire for this world as a dead person does. Does a dead person debate popular issues of the day? Do the dead buried in the cemetery care who are right or wrong? Is the dead trying to improve the world conditions? Do the dead care what your political and religious views are? Do they care whether or not you bring flowers to their grave? If I die out to the world, if I did, I would be a hypocrite the only good thing anybody can do is admit to this chaotic condition distorted condition and rely past present and future on god's mercy and rejoice in the ultimate sacrifice namely jesus the only one who managed to live a perfect life psalm 17:15 but as for me my containment is not in wealth, pious, religious, or political life, but in seeing you and knowing all is well between us, when I awaken in heaven, I will be fully satisfied, for I will see you face to face. Merrily, 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 this natural life is but a dream. This is the end of chapter six. This concludes chapter seven of nonfiction book. This is chapter seven of the book Nonfiction. After receiving chapter six of this book, my sister Gail asked if there would be any more chapters, and I said chapter six would be the last chapter. Of course I pondered this comment and began to realize there is life after religion. Therefore, chapter seven is a rebirth chapter. While contemplating chapter seven, it dawned on me that at the beginning of this chapter, I indicated to my sister that chapter five was what I planned to be the last chapter of this book. Then I went on to explain how my sister commented had inspired me to continue with chapter six. Since I had not planned chapter six, it has occurred to me that I am being enlightened at the same time this information is being recorded. It's like the information is in my spirit but needs to be drawn out. Spiritually speaking, it's like drawing water from a well. This is similar to Gail's comment when she used the word well when she made the statement, I believe... I believe because of our communication that Gail accepts this information in this book for me, but not necessarily accept it for herself. Because of her position, I can only conclude that she was inspired to make that comment that encouraged me to write Chapter 6. Several people, including Gail, have stated that Chapter 6 was the most informative of all the chapters in this book this observation indicates to me that a small miracle had occurred to inspire chapter 6 i also believe this inspiration has the character of god being expressed which is, consists of mysterious miraculous and unbelievable qualities proverbs 21:20 20, verse 5 though good advice lies deep within a counselor's heart, the wise man will draw it out. When a person dies out to earthly beliefs, a whole new world dawns upon the individual. It's like a caterpillar confined to the earth until it emerges from its cocoon and begins a new life of flight as a butterfly no longer confined to the earth. Likewise, A spiritual person emerges from earthly issues, religious desires, and controversial earthly causes. This new birth does not stop us from living. We simply change our attitude and beliefs. Basically, a spiritual person stops indulging in earthly beliefs, pretending to know God, And begin to indulge in spiritual thoughts seeking God's will and develop a desire to understand and follow his thoughts and reasoning instead of our own earthly thoughts and reasoning. If we actually accept and believe that this natural world and this natural life that we human beings are engaged in is just an illusion then we must realize that we are living a lie throughout our earthly existence. If this is true, doesn't it make sense that our primary goal and attention should shift from the natural to the spiritual? That does not in any way imply that our lifestyle should change, just our inner attitude. In the Bible, the book of John chapter 3, Jesus explaining this attitude changed to a religious leader named Nicodemus. John 3, verse 3, Jesus replied, With all the earnestness I possess, I tell you this, unless you are born again, you can never enter into the kingdom of God. And John 3, 5-8, through what I'm telling you so earnestly is this, Unless you are born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven, so don't be surprised that my statement that you must be born again. This new birth is simply a change of attitude as indicated in previous paragraph. Also, entering into the kingdom of God is a present tense experience that is achieved by changing one's Alliance from earthly concerns and earthly issues to heavenly issues and heavenly concerns We human beings are naturally born into this natural world and our natural nature is adapted to this lifestyle This lifestyle is aimed toward trying to make our earthly life as bearable as possible Part of achieving this goal is to be in denial. Yes, denial We see the turmoil and strife going on around us, but we focus on trying to cope with this chaotic world by attempting to change and control the terminal condition of this world. Our natural instincts refuse to admit that we are fighting a losing battle. Until we have a change of attitude, we are part of the problem and are unwilling and refuse to experience the new birth. We human beings have one primary goal, and that is to focus on our earthly life. Everything we say and do is aimed at instant earthly gratification. Philippians three seventeen through 19 Dear brothers, pattern your life after mine, and notice who else lives up to my example. For I have told you before, and I say it again, now with tears in my eyes. There are many who walk down the Christian road, who are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Their future is eternal loss, for their God, religion, is their appetite. They are proud of what they should be ashamed of, and all they think about is life here on earth, patriotism and religion. When a person is born again, This new life simply focuses on a future life that has the opposite effect. Ashamed of what they used to be proud of. The realization is that this world is a temporary inconvenience. Those who do not agree with this philosophy and are still focused on the natural state of mind will naturally accuse the spiritual person of being a cop-out of life on earth and will hate the spiritual person because they don't agree actively support these earthly beliefs and controversial issues. Romans 3.15. They are quick to kill, hating anyone who disagrees with them. Those earthly goals focus on sanctity of government, as in patriotism, support of government, and the sanctity of religion, as in pride of one's religion. The devil's character and goal is to keep humanity focused on earthly life. The premise is that this natural existence is the only life we will ever know. The devil wants everyone to believe that our religious and political ties are the only connection to eternity. Man proposes that a wonderful, proud memory is each individual's main purpose and accomplishment in this life and will be eternally important from generation to generation. But God has a promise, even the memory of religion and political pride will be erased. Psalms 9, 5-6 You have rebuked the nation and destroyed the wicked Blotting out their names forever and ever, O oh, enemies of mine, you are doomed forever. The Lord will destroy your cities; even the memory of them will disappear. Also, Psalms 9:20. Make them tremble in fear. Put the nations to their in their place until at last they know that they are but puny men. Please try to understand, as long as we exist in this evil world and our natural evil nature desires this lifestyle, we are forced outwardly to support the governments and its decisions. But spiritually speaking, every earthly government, without exception, is contaminated with evil nature. And human logic tells us world governments, to some extent, are necessary to contain and hold in check the e- evil nature of man the primary spirits of the the primary spirits of the spirit are love joy peace faith and hope probably the least of these fruits to be understood is peace peace is the opposite of conflict to be at peace with god simply means that there is no fear or apprehension or doubt about our bond of love with god the oxford american dictionary interprets interpretation of peace is quiet calm peace of mind free from free from anxiety also a state of harmony between people absent of strife absence of strife and harmony between people this is the ideal position a person wants to be be between themselves and God when a person achieves this condition a peace with God there is there we are in a position to follow his instructions to enter into his rest Hebrews 4 9 through 11 So there is a full, complete rest, still waiting for the people of God. Christ has already entered there. He is resting from his work, just as God did after the creation. Let us do our best to get into this place of rest, being careful not to disobey God. If we're not resting, we are disobeying God. The Oxford American Dictionary interprets rest, to be still, to cease from movement, or action, or working. Here's another obvious conclusion. If you're religious or patriotic, you are actively pursuing these ideals. Likewise, if you are not religious or patriotic, you are inactive and could be at rest. Once again. It should be obvious that rest is only possible if we have peace. Likewise, it should also be obvious that we cannot be actively involved with religion or patriotic activities and be at rest at the same time. As I recall, an acquaintance of mine had requested that a particular song be sang at her funeral. The title of the song is Wonderful Peace. Now imagine these words being sang at your funeral. Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rolls a melody sweeter than psalms. In celestial-like strains it unceasingly falls o'er my soul like an infinite calm. Peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever I pray in fathomless billows of land. There are four more verses to this song emphasizing peace. This acquaintance believed that wonderful peace would finally be experienced after this terminal life had ended. Many people would consider this person's final request to be a glorious ending with a strong devotion of hope and faith. If we look at this testimony spiritually, it will become clear that there was no peace prior to death. Galatians 5.22 But there, when the Holy Spirit controls your lives, He will produce this kind of fruits in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Without peace, we cannot enter into God's place of rest. Can you see how this person has missed the previous instruction to enter into God's peace and rest? Hebrews 4, 8-11. to This new place of rest he is talking about does not mean the land of Israel that Joshua had led them into. If that were what God meant, He would not have spoken long afterwards about today being the time to get in. So, there is a full and complete rest still waiting for the people of God. Christ has already entered there. He is resting from his work just as God did after the creation. Let us do our best to enter this place of rest. Two, being careful not to disobey God as the children of Israel did thus failing to get in. If our relationship with God is complete and total compatible while we are here on earth, we will have permanent peace now and forever. John 14:27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart and the peace I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives. so don't be troubled or afraid. Philippians 4, 7. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. A few years ago, I recall hearing a statement that went something like this, understanding surpasses knowledge. If we analyze analyze this statement, it seems to make sense. If we only have knowledge of a subject, it's like carnal information, perhaps lacking substance or spiritual acknowledgement. If we accept this fact and absorb the reasoning behind the knowledge into our psyche, the knowledge takes on character and becomes part of our being, understanding. The reason I brought this up subject up is to emphasize the possibility that the information presented in this manuscript could become an important part of our spiritual being. If we can accept as fact that this natural life we are experience is an illusion, this will move us into the realm of understanding and we can then realize the reality of our situation. This, is not, this does not stop us from living the illusion, but in our spirit we know that our existence on earth is futile as far as God is concerned. At this point in our understanding, it is then possible to admit spiritually that we are living a lie and that this natural life is, as the preacher said, futile, Ecclesiastics 12.8. All is futile, says the preacher, utterly f- futile. When we realize our situation, then it becomes possible to be reborn into the spiritual world. The, but the fallacy of this natural word must be, world must be realized, understood, before the so-called set, the rebirth can be experienced. Some people may reason that this manuscript is no more truthful or important than any other theory being presented. In other words, what makes this book more real than thousands of other philosophies of life? Probably the most compelling fact is that this writing focuses on God's spiritual world, while all other theories that I know of are based on this earthly life. The religions of the world try to bring God into this chaotic, corrupt world, which implies that God's approving of this lifestyle and also trying but failing to make this deteriorating life a pleasant experience. It's totally disrespectful if we human beings imply that God is participating in this deathly existence. If we are able to accept the fact that our evil nature is in total complete opposition to God, then we will realize that our salvation, deliverance from earthly beliefs, is dependent on his constant power of grace, undeserved favor. I do not believe in God, in my natural being. My very nature is to deny that and doubt the existence of God. It is only the spirit of God moving within my spirit that stirs my faith and allows me to be secure and assured of his acceptance of me. As the lyrics of a hymn goes, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Yes, it's blessed assurance that allows me to believe in God's mercy god must continually assure me of his saving grace if the spirit of god does not continually assure me of his love i will stop believing psalms 33:22. yes lord let your constant love surround us for our hopes are in you alone if we could believe in god without his constant assurance we wouldn't need his salvation we would be fooling ourselves into thinking we could save ourselves. We would actually be pretending to know God. We may fool ourselves and other people in our lives, but the important question is, are we fooling God? Psalms 7, 9. End all wickedness, O Lord, and bless all who truly worship God. For you are the righteous God. Look deep within the hearts of man and examine all their motives and their thoughts. I'm sure some people reading this book believe that my dislike of religion is my opinion based on a bad experience while participating in religion. I would only hope that anybody with this thought would consider the possibility that their reasoning could be considered denial on their part. Religion is the breeding ground for producing pride. If a person is religious, this person is also proud. Proverbs 16.5 Pride disgusts the Lord. Take my word for it. Proud men shall be punished. Religion transforms a person into a wolf in sheep's clothing. They pretend to be caring, but in their heart, they are condemning anyone who does not agree with their religion beliefs. Religion exalts a person above all other human beings, just as, just the opposite of being humble. Psalms eighteen twenty seven, You deliver the humble, but condemn the proud and haughty ones. Religion produces aggressive image instead of a meek image. These aggressive characteristics are the opposite of what Jesus taught us to be acceptable in the kingdom of heaven if a person is religious this person cannot enjoy the peace and rest offered to those who respect honor the teachings of christ if we are motivated by religion or or patriotic image we should try to realize that the intentions of these images are evil and as the saying goes the streets of hell are paved with good intentions, and these intentions denounce, denounce God's gift of salvation. The gift of salvation is spiritual, deliverance from this evil, corrupt world. Matthew sixteen twenty-four: You cannot serve two masters, God and money, religion. For you will hate one and love the other, or else the other way around. If you insist on saving your life, religion, you will lose it. Only those who throw away their lives, religion, for my sake and for the sake of the good news, will ever know what it means to really live. As stated in chapter 5, I am not trying to start a new religion, and whether or not anybody accepts this information is out of my control. Of course, I wish everybody would have the Abundant assurance in the spirit that I have. For the most part, life on earth for me has been a sad experience, and I am continually mourning within my spirit. This mourning is the result of watching life deteriorate before my eyes as though I love, suffer the pangs of a slow death. The upside is I have the assurance that eternity will have the opposite effect god is not my helper nor he is he my co-pilot he is my inspiration and pilot as he delivers saves me from this sinful world my allegiance is not for any earthly government my allegiance is for eternal life i look forward to a peaceful joyful loving eternity psalm 64 and 5 but you have given us a banner to rely Two, all all who love truth will rally to it. Then you can deliver your beloved people. Use your strong right arm to rescue us. This natural world offers me conflict, war, chaos, hate, uncertainty, false hope, and deception. The God of illusion controls this world. Now that I see the reality of the situation, it's hard for me to believe that anybody could believe that a perfect God could be involved in such a hell. Anybody professing that God is participating in this natural disaster is also employing that God is imperfect. To believe that God is involved with this natural world is to dishonor God by making him a partner with the devil. Because of this chaotic condition of this natural world, such alliance would obviously make the devil the head of this partnership. Of course, God created this world and there is beauty in the creation, but it has been contaminated by a fallen nature. Another bizarre reality is why would a person confess their sins to a man? Man of the cloth. The person you're confessing to needs salvation as much as you do. We, we all, without exception, need salvation, deliverance from this evil world. Here's proof. Simon Peter, who was one of the disciples, who was a constant companion of Jesus, for the time Jesus was here on earth, denied even knowing Jesus, when Jesus was arrested and crucified. If anybody throughout history had an opportunity to know Jesus, it would be Simon Peter. And yet, after being with Jesus throughout his ministry, Jesus makes a statement on the night of his crucifixion. Luke 22, 31. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to have you, to sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not completely fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen and build up the faith of your brothers. Part of this verse needs to be repeated. When you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen and build up the faith of your brothers. What do you think? Is the next verse that Peter used to repeat need to be repeated? Simon said, Lord, I am ready to go to jail with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Between now and tomorrow morning when the rooster crows, you will deny me three times declaring that you don't even know me. Are we enlightened more than Peter? As you can see by this example, we can claim to be faithful in our own strength, but we would only be fooling ourselves. Many human beings believe that God will accept them into heaven because of their devotion to religion. Matthew seven twenty two. At the judgment, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, We told others about you and used your name to cast out demons and do many other great miracles. But I will reply, you have never been mine. Go away, for your deeds are evil. Religious pride. Here's one of my final truths. I'm afraid of dying. I have doubts about life after death. I do everything I can to put off dying. I exercise, take vitamins, watch my diet, and I dread the thought of death. However, at the same time, in my spirit, I'm actually homesick for heaven. To me, this final comment has a mysterious, miraculous, unbelievable character. It's unbelievable to think a person could be afraid of dying at the same time be homesick for heaven. It's miraculous that this plan could contain these opposite feelings together. These events can only be des- described as a miracle. Psalms 136 23, he remembers our utter weakness for his loving kindness continues forever. Like salmon fulfilling their destiny by migrating upstream against the the currents of water to eventually spawn, we must struggle against the world of unbelief and find fulfillment and eventually discover eternal life. The most noteworthy and popular salmon in the freshwater lakes of the northern United States region is where this popular salmon reach their birthplace, spawn, and lay their eggs before they die. When the eggs eggs hatch, an inborn instinct force throughout their lives guides the hatchlings. The hatchlings start their lives as freshwater fish. After a few months, the salmon start a treacherous journey downstream and eventually end up in the ocean as saltwater fish. After a few years, the salmon leave the saltwater environment and revert back to freshwater fish and start a treacherous journey back upstream to their original birthplace. Scientists have also discovered that the Simon will strike at bait but mysteriously stop eating. When they start this unbelievable miraculous migration and their appearance takes a drastic metamorphism even though the life cycle of the salmon takes approximately six years, this miraculous migration takes place every year. How is it possible to salmon to migrate each year when their life cycle is approximately every six years? This question should stretch the imagination to the breaking point of scholars and evolutionists. What is the purpose of this mysterious unbelievable miraculous migration life cycle that the salmon go through we humans have the ability to reason and ponder this phenomenon therefore the life cycle of salmon is obviously for our belief to get a glimpse of God's ability and go against the laws of nature in his creative ability and proof of his miraculous mysterious unbelievable personality if there's a better explanation I would like to know about it when a person becomes spiritual they will begin to focus on a spiritual migration like the salmon the like the salmon when they stop eating a spiritual person may voice an opinion strike, but not actively support, consume earthly ideologies. And the outlook on life takes on a drastic metamorphism of this earthly life as they concentrate on an inner force leading to eternal life. I see light at the end of the tunnel. Merrily, 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 this earthly life is but a dream. Anybody wishing to interpret this book in other languages has the author's permission to do so.